2: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
3: Welcome to Season 2 of Raising Kale. In Season 1, I asked our guests what listeners like you can do to become kale raisers and improve your own communities. Their number one answer, eat local and get to know your farmers. So in Season 2, Farmers and Families, I'll be talking to more farmers. We'll learn about what they're growing, how they're innovating, and what they're doing to improve their communities in addition to feeding people. I'm also talking to heroes who are helping families learn to cook, making healthy food fun, and archiving family history through recipes. I'm excited for Season 2. Thank you for joining me.
1: I don't know if people even realize that you know this valley right here where we call home is like where most of the produce for the whole country comes from so we are so lucky to be in this completely rich environment of amazing local food
3: our food is linked to obesity climate change workers rights and so much more every bite of food we chew has a story i'm amber stott food activist and founder of the nonprofit food literacy center I've worked with legislators, school districts, farmers, and chefs to rewrite the story of our food and improve my community. I want to inspire more people to become food activists, so I've invited my mentors and the activists who inspire me to share their stories and their tips on how to improve our food choices, our communities, and our planet. It's time we understand the story behind the food we eat and the impact our food choices have on our health, the environment, and our economy. It's time to start raising kale. Our farmer, Sarah Bernal, works on an urban farm that's run by the nonprofit Center for Land-Based Learning. Urban farming takes place in cities on small plots, not in the country. The average farm size in America in 2012 was 434 acres, but the majority of urban farms are just five acres or less. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, a quarter of the world's urban population gets their food from urban farmers. 15% of the world's food is grown in cities. As more and more of the world's population lives in cities, our food supply and our farmers are moving there too. Urban farmers like Sarah Bernal are keenly aware of the needs of their communities and are not only growing food to feed them, but also rising up to meet social needs like hunger. Sarah Bernal is a farmer, a community activist, a rad human, and a true kale raiser. She has lived and worked around the world from Bangladesh to Italy, but it's in West Sacramento, California, where she's transforming her community through food. She's the program manager for the nonprofit Center for Land Based Learning, where she runs an urban farm program that trains new farmers, feeds the hungry, and tirelessly makes the world a better place. Sarah, welcome to Raising Kale.
1: Wow, thank you so much. I think that's the nicest introduction I've ever had. <laughs>
3: well, now you have it on recording, so you can like take it with you to places. Love it. <laughs> In your next meeting, you just play that back. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so um, I want to talk about your story, your experiences, but first just briefly explain where you work and what your role is for folks that don't know Center for Land-Based Learning.
1: Sure, yeah, so uh, I work for the Center for Land-Based Learning. It's a, a nonprofit that's been around for the last 20 years, been growing pretty much exponentially um, throughout the state of California, you know, so we have like I don't even know how many counties, but it it pretty much our programming spans most of the state. And our goal is really to inspire and generate the next uh, the next crop of farmers and agricultural leaders and environmental stewards. So, yeah, kind of across the board.
3: Yeah. And then your role in particular.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, uh, I am the program manager for the West Sac Urban Farm Program. Um, I started this program in 2014. And so it's been a process of, you know, Building up urban farm sites, so we have five sites to date that cover seven acres, Um, and then trying to create the supportive infrastructure that's needed for beginning farmers. So, you know, cold storage and marketing opportunities, and then just the mentorship that is required to sort of get through those first years of figuring it all out. So, um, yeah. awesome and we're gonna dive into that we're
3: gonna explain all those words so listeners if you've never heard of urban farming before we're gonna get into that uh but first I I really want you guys to know who Sarah is because she's just a super cool human and you know she's the complete package and you'll better understand why these programs are so amazing when you understand why she's so amazing so so I, I just you know to me I feel like Lots of people want to make the world better, but it takes a really special kind of human to wake up every day and fight the good fight. So like, when did you first know that food was going to be your tool and that you wanted to use it to create change in your community?
1: Wow. I mean, that's a really great question because I can tell you right now, I'm 39 and I don't think I had a houseplant until I was like 27, let alone put a seed in the ground until... I decided to start farming after doing about seven years of social work. Um, I used to run a housing subsidy program out of homeless shelter in, in SF and then um, on weekends, San Francisco for people in Illinois, sorry, that's right. Yep. <laughs> City down South from Sacramento here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd been in the world of social work for such a long time. Well, seven years isn't that long, but, um, that's and a long was, time. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, spending weekends, um, visiting a partner I was with at the time at their farm apprenticeship out in Fair Oaks. And every weekend I'd go out there and, you know, it was just my Saturdays and Sundays and I was realizing man you know i really i'm really enjoying this lifestyle i love having some kind of like tune with the seasons that things kind of change over time that there's a rhythm that naturally occurs like without within just a day and uh after a few months of volunteering my weekends to visit my partner and also check out what this might look like i just went for it i just sold everything that i owned i quit my job i went online and i found a farm apprenticeship out in penryn And that was it for me. I've been in ag now for 11 years in a variety of different facets of working for other farmers and then finally having my own farm and then losing my farm and starting this program. So it's been a journey. (laughs) I mean, what what was the
3: the moment where you were like, yeah, I'm I'm out goodbye other job
1: oh man i think that (laughs) it was probably when i realized that i got back from a specific weekend and i was sitting at my desk filing reports for like the seven and a half hour of my office day and i was like (laughs) this is it i i can't i can't see this being it for me for the rest of the my career so time to try something new and it's great because farming is still an act of service and that's really important to me so um, so it was just a really awesome opportunity to take a risk and just give it a shot.
3: <laughs> I love this. And and so I'm going to back you up even a little bit further from that. Um, cause, cause you know, y- you work at, you do your work at a local level, um, but your experience is quite global. You've lived and worked abroad. You were born in Mexico. Yeah. Like talk about how these experiences Kind of shaped your view of community work, and, and you know how how that has shaped you to be sort of in the line that you are today.
1: Yeah, that's such an interesting question, and actually, I'm like thinking about it while you're asking me. Um, you know, what is my answer to that? And you know, so both my parents are from the Dominican Republic. Um, my mom's dad, so my grandpa, had a finca down in in Ang um, Moca, which is a little town in the DR. Um, and so, you know, my mom grew up just having the cow milk brought over from her farm and ripping those plantains right off the tree and, you know, just grabbing that avocado, picking it and eating it. And, um, all of my family's still down there. So every time we go there, you know, you're just walking down the street and a mango falls in front of you and you eat it. And it's, (laughs) it's the best thing you've ever had in your life, you know, and then living in Europe, um, you know, after, after immigrating to the United States in 1989, um, we had the opportunity as a family to move to Spain for a year. Um, and then I also lived in Italy for a year and looking at these, the structures of these small towns where, you know, you go to the baker and you get your loaf of bread and then you go to the market and you buy your tomatoes and then you go to the butcher and all of these foods were so locally handled, produced and consumed. And there's just no doubt that the flavors and the textures and the quality of the food, Um, when you can access it locally is just so much better. And so just always made so much sense to me that um, even though we have this really convenient kind of infrastructure of go to this one store and buy everything that you've ever wanted, you know, from (laughs) toilet paper to, you know, a head of lettuce, um, (laughs) you know, those conveniences are really great. And I, and I know people are crunched for time and money these days. And um, so, but, you know, I, I think it's just so important to find an alternative option for folks as well, you know, to be able to access that locally grown thing that maybe has a better flavor profile than, than what you would get from, you know, the tomato that's traveled 1500 miles at your supermarket. Um, so kind of all starts for me there. I just really believe in growing our local economy so much. It's so interesting because as you're describing,
3: even the Dominican Republic, your experience, and as you're describing these experiences, I'm like, that sounds like Sacramento, right? Like th- that is what I love about Sacramento. So I can see how yeah. that would shape you landing here, right? Because we have that kind of paradise and it's very special, but also it isn't everyone that gets to access, have access to that equally. And and so that's where your current job comes in. And and so I I think you and I share that, commitment and that passion to wanting to improve that. And so, so, so talk about that and and now kind of get into the programs that you're doing specifically at center for land-based learning in West Sac.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. I agree with you, Amber. I mean, I don't know if people even realize that, you know, this Valley right here where we call home is like where most of the produce for the whole country comes from. So yeah. we are so lucky to be in this completely rich environment of amazing local food. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we look at, you know, you look at the history of any given city, any given area, you kind of like get a you know, handle on the long term effects of things like redlining and other types of practices need- that really segregated. Sorry. Say what oh, redlining is. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it was a set of policies that really made it um, legally impossible for people of color to buy housing in certain neighborhoods and actually isolated, you know, people of color to have to stay in specific neighborhoods that then really were underfunded and under-resourced for decades um, until present day. And so, you know, now we kind of look at these spaces and we say, oh, it's a food desert or, oh, it's, you know, an underserved neighborhood. Um, But it really is just like a result of a, a wide breadth of policies that were intentionally placed to sort of, you know, Generate these disparities, and so when we're when we're looking at the current moment and sort of moving forward, we have to start thinking outside of the box about you know how can we make some progress today to try to you know uh, generate a little bit more equity in the landscape of what these neighborhoods have on offer and what is accessible. So you know I think the word accessibility by itself means a lot of things. It means geographically accessible. It means financially accessible. It means Culturally relevant food, um, and so yeah, my work for the program, for the West Sacramento Farm Program, for the last gosh eight years now, um, has really been about taking these opportunities in the community. So a vacant lot is an opportunity, right? Um, a refrigerated mobile market is an opportunity. Um, local mom and pop grocers that focus primarily on selling herbs and spices—hey, that's a brick and mortar opportunity to inject fresh produce into, Um, and so how can we take the local knowledge that we have of people who've been working in agriculture or, you know, our friends over at Soilborn are pumping out these apprentices, our training program at Center for Land-Based Learning is pumping out these new students who really want to start new farms, and how do we create spaces to grow those opportunities into a part of the local food systems landscape. And so, so and yeah. just right there, you fired off like five
3: programs that you are single-handedly <laughs> running, right? So uh, for those who, who are keeping up here, because Sarah moves fast, cause she's doing a lot of good work. Um, we're going to get into each of these programs. So the first one you talk about is um, taking the spaces in an urban area. And so like, Explain what urban farming is and, and what you're doing specifically with with open space in
1: West Sac. Sure. I mean, so urban farming, really, honestly, it's it's anybody growing any kind of food. Um, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It could be the raised bed or the old cabinet that you shoved some dirt in and planted a potato in. It can be anything. It's growing food within the city limits, right? And so there's so many ways to view that. There's community gardens. There's, you know, our focus of the West Sac Urban Farm Program is to create commercially viable urban farm spaces. So that's a focus on production, right? We're growing about twenty-five to 30,000 pounds of produce a month in our urban farm program. And um, how many acres? How many seven, acres are you doing that? Seven acres of land total. Um, and then in production, because, you know, there's roads and storage and all these other pieces of of the site that aren't just growing food. It's about probably five acres of active production. So Wow. So yeah. five acres,
3: 30,000 pounds a year.
1: A month. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> you can produce a lot of food on a small amount of space. So, yeah, you can. You can. And and you're you're showing others
3: how, right?
1: Yeah. Well, we have so many awesome participants in our. Uh, so there was that one part about converting vacant lots into urban farms, and so you know that was the first five years of the program were really focusing on that aspect of let's make more urban farms, and um, so that was really the focus, and then. The The point of having these urban farm sites is really to give the next generation of farmers a place to actually establish a business and, you know, build a brand, become better farmers, have a place to access some mentorship. And so our farm sites are actually business incubators for people who want a, want to launch their own farm business. So if you're a person who's, you know worked on a farm for a year and is itching to have your own farm with your own label and your own markets um hit us up that's what we're here for we're here to support you in that process um so that's that's definitely one big part of it that's great and so i mean
3: getting access to this land cuz that's that's pricey like do you have arrangement with city officials how even, that sounds really hard
1: Yeah, access to land is such an interesting thing, especially in California with the pressure of housing and just like the cost of anything in general in the state is challenging. Um, Mm -hmm. However, we started our project on one city-owned piece of land. That was our first site in 2014. It's at the corner of 5th and C. Um, And we used that as a model. We picked a really high visibility location. The second piece of land that we developed was actually offered to us after doing presentations at our local Rotary Club. You know, all these, oh. these folks who own land and have been part of the business community for a really long time. We just made some presentations saying, Hey, we're starting a citywide urban farm program. And people started coming out of the woodwork to us saying, I have an acre of land at my affordable housing complex. Would you like to turn that into a farm? And so our second farm is um, on property of a low-income housing developer called West Sac Housing Development Corporation. Um, Our third site is actually on school district property. So school districts are one of the largest landholders in most cities and counties. Um, so, great places to find uh, long-term leases for land would be school districts. And then lastly, our last two urban farms are both owned by private developers who were just interested in supporting the cause. And uh, the fifth site that we built is actually on a new development. And there was a vision of saying, hey, we really want to have the farm be a focal part of this community that's that we're building right now, and that's through Fulcrum. So agrihood as they call them nowadays (laughs) yeah exactly so we have an agrihood at our affordable housing complex and an agrihood uh here at our our more high-end housing complex area that's a new development in west Sac. so love it love it and um okay so so that's your
3: urban farm program or your sort of how you got the land and Mm -hmm. then how do you get the humans that are your farmers
1: Yeah, recruitment is always really interesting. You know, we really want to draw from, like, the local knowledge of the community. Luckily, we live in a place where there are so many farms already um, that we do see a bunch of people coming out of training programs like Soilborne's Apprenticeship. The Center for Land-Based Learning has an amazing beginning farmer training program that's seven months long. Um, And when you complete that seven-month training program, you can plug right into the incubator program and launch your own farm. Um, There's also just so many folks in our community who are either farm workers, have been farm workers, or, you know, have participated in some sort of commercial agricultural production in their life and are just itching to have their own freedom and their own business. So um, most of our folks are actually, well, this year, two of our farmers are from the community West Sac, Um, who'd been farming and been gaining their own skills through their own life experience. And then in the past, a lot of them have been graduates of our training programs or from Soilborn.
3: Sarah's up to some incredible work. We're going to find out more right after this break.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
3: Okay, so you've got land, you've got farmers getting plugged in, and then you just did a super cool things recently. You took a truck. Tell tell me about this truck. This is Uh, a really amazing
1: thing. I'm so pumped about this truck. Uh, It's been (laughs) quite a slog to get to the moment that we're at today, but it's a happy, happy time right now. Um, So the California Department of Food and Agriculture has a grant fund, and it's intended to put refrigeration units in corner stores. Essentially, the goal is to it's a refrigeration grant to increase access in underserved communities to fresh produce. And so, you know, when I saw this refrigeration grant in 2019, I thought, well, we're not a corner store. We're not a brick and mortar, but we can drive the produce that we're growing around the community and schedule lots and lots of stops to serve people who maybe don't even have cars or seniors where mobility issues are tough. So I love this. Yeah, we were able to write a grant to CDFA for a refrigerated mobile market truck. Found this amazing company in Canada called the Farmer's Truck, which All that they do is make refrigerated mobile market trucks. So check those out. Yep. had them build us this amazing vehicle. Um, And then, you know, we have some really amazing uh, funders through Wells Fargo and Kaiser Permanente and um, uh, Western Health Advantage that provided some funding to help us hire staff to to launch the pilot. And this year we are driving produce grown right in West Sac along with shelf-stable pantry items that we're giving away for free, as well as recipe cards and cookbooks and nutrition information from Health and Human Services Agency directly to where people live at senior housing complexes and affordable housing complexes.
3: Kim, our producer, just let me know that she has a picture of your food truck. So this is a a podcast, and I I realize that our listeners cannot see pictures, but this is also uh, being recorded (laughs) on StreamYard. So for those who can, when we put this on social media, there's you in front of your food truck. I love it. And so, so talk about this photo. What's, what's
1: happening oh, here? well, yeah. So <laughs> that one particularly was uh, was just for the launch of the product of, of the farm truck itself. But I mean, I can tell you a little bit about our first day out in the community. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, our very first stop is at a senior affordable housing complex called Margaret McDowell in West Sac. And to be honest, you know, I was like, maybe no one's going to show up. No one's going to care that we're even here. And uh, we were supposed we're there from 12 to uh, 12 noon until two. And, you know, we park, it's 1145. And there are like 25 seniors just waiting at the front door of the apartment complex. Some of them said, thank you so much for bringing this to where we live. I don't have a car. I oh. haven't had fresh produce in you know, however many months or Mm -hmm. I'm getting treated for uh, this certain thing, which has prohibited me from getting the vaccine. So going to the grocery store is really nerve wracking for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that we could give them this open air, everyone's masked and there's so much space um, and they don't have to walk anywhere, just come out their front door and come out and go shopping. I was, I mean, I was like almost brought to tears with just seeing the fact that there was actually people lined up and waiting um, to go to go and, and actually access this produce. And something that I, I also really want to share that I just mm-hmm. loved was West Sac uh, has such a vibrant immigrant community, um, mm-hmm. you know, from Afghani to Russian to L- Latinx folks. Um, and everybody has, you know, familiarity and love for different types of produce. But we have more Russians than I think any city in the United States. And I know that this might sound stereotypical, but we had just dug these potatoes out of the ground like two days ago, and some of these elderly um, Russian women definitely had grown their own food in their childhood because even though they couldn't really speak um, fluent English, and unfortunately, I only speak Spanish, you know, they would hold up these potatoes and just say, new potato, it's a new potato. I was like, yes, like, they could see things that I think other customers like, you know, take for granted. But a lot of folks coming from other countries grew up growing their own food, and they haven't seen something that was picked that same day in in maybe quite a while. Well, and you're bringing up
3: another really important topic of the cult, not just the cultural relevance of this food, but the, um, the food memory that is so critical to carry forward from generation to generation that we have lost in our fast food culture. And I think farming is a really critical entry point to bring some of this cultural food back, right? Um, uh, and you see this in the farmer's markets all the time, at least for me. Like, I've been going to the farmer's market weekly for however long I've lived in, in California. And it's incredible to me to watch certain um, certain foods sort of begin to be introduced to the market that are actually just a reintroduction of food, like a Persian cucumber, right? Like, we just yep. used to only get the the watery, flavorless kind. And now we get yep. these... Persian cucumbers because you know it was some farmer who talked to
1: someone's grandma who was like, I remember these cucumbers, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so awesome. Actually, I'm so glad that you brought that up because we're going to be starting to do um, surveys uh, to our customers at the mobile market this year, asking Uh them like, what would you love to see? And I think one of the things that really brings me so much joy is that someone can say, oh, you know, I, I haven't seen this hot chili pepper that came from my country since this long ago, um, or, you know, oh, I, I love eating kalaloo, but I can't find it around here. Yeah. Um, we're so fortunate that we actually can tailor what we plant yeah. um, and grow it directly for folks. And we had an amazing relationship with um, Cultural Roots Nursery, um, which is a nursery um, run by one of our friends, Z. Um, and, and, you know, and Z did this, all this effort of sourcing all these South Asian seeds and different crop varieties for us because we have a large Afghani population, um, in West Sac as well. And we wanted to make sure that we were offering things that maybe were really challenging to, to, to find in local markets, Mm -hmm. um, and I have to say, our South Asian block, we have a block, we have five blocks at our farm. And one of the blocks is our South Asian block. And um, it's like my favorite block to walk through because I'm like, ooh, I didn't know what that was going to look like. And it's awesome. Love it. Love it. <laughs> it's me to a lot of new things. And, and it's great to see people's faces light up um, at the market when when they see a leafy green that, that they had not seen fresh um, in mm-hmm. quite some time. So,
3: when you apply, did you talk to somebody before you put in this application yeah. and say, you know, corner store, truck, they're all the same. Like, did would, did it
1: take a lot of convincing? Actually, no. I mean, I did talk to them. I called the grants manager and I said, hey, I know that this is the language and this is what you're expecting, but would you consider this? And I have to say that um, the California Department of Food and Ag was really easy easy to convince they were like yes let's give it a shot we hadn't thought about it but why not um so yeah great partners right there (laughs)
3: that's i mean and and to have a state department open to that kind of innovation i do i do think speaks volumes and and i do think it speaks to uh just how important agriculture is here in the state of california and the um commitment I think we are fortunate to have at the state level because you don't see that in every state for sure.
1: Definitely. I agree. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the work you are doing is not, it it is not a small task to get state partners, to get government partners, developer partners. Um, When are you sleeping?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do have trouble sleeping. Um, No, you know, actually we live in such a rich environment with so many community partners. You know, I mentioned the shelf stable things like the shelf stable items, like that's Yolo food banks, uh, you know, community buying program, you know, health education council helped us do outreach to residents at the affordable housing complexes. Um, You know, health and human services provided us all those recipe cards. Like it's been such a joy to reach out to, People who have these resources and say, hey, would you want to contribute some of your resources um, to helping this program launch? And uh, it's taken a village. So, you know, it's been quite a process. But um, but we've had so much support and um, and so many, so many partners from the school district to the city to, you know, corporate funders and all of that. It's just all about relationships and um, and trying to be authentic about what your mission is and getting that done, you know, so We're hoping to keep (laughs) coming.
3: From social work to, uh, you know, telling CDFA that their corner store situation needs to be a truck. I just just think uh, uh, it's a good thing you quit your job when you did. (laughs) (laughs) Sacramento is a a better place for having you in it. And what other things, you know, what do you, do you live in the future? Like, do you already know what you want to do five years from now? I'm thinking about next year
1: all the time. (laughs) Um, you know, so this year is we're just starting like we just launched this mobile farmers market in July. It's a pilot season. We hadn't even driven the truck or anything. So we're just like understanding even how to park it, you know, let alone uh, how to expand programming. But something that I'm, I'm really interested in is. We, we are looking at the food landscape of West Sacramento, and we, we know that the USDA defines certain parts of the community as a food desert. And I think it's really interesting to start thinking more deeply about, like, what does that definition mean and what resources are we ignoring that we could actually be lifting up that the community has on offer? And so fortunately, um, I have another grant that is uh, funding three years of research on how to connect urban farms to the low-income population of West Sac. It's funded by the USDA's uh, Urban Ag Innovations and Productions Grant. Um, And having three years of funding to do research on how to connect the benefits of urban farms to low-income residents is, like, undreamable. What? (laughs) So, I mean, even just in this first year of research, um, something that came out was that Yeah. A supermarket means that the store is profiting over two million dollars and that they sell everything from canned goods to baked goods to dairy to produce. And uh, it really leaves out like a huge population of mom and pop grocery stores, ethnic Mm -hmm. grocery stores. You know, they're not making two million dollars. They don't offer every single type of item. But Mm -hmm. they are brick and mortar, locally owned small businesses that are there to serve the community with food and staples. And so, you know, what I'm what I'm looking for in the next couple of years or what I'm looking forward to in the next couple of years is really how to elevate those mom and pop shops with the opportunities of small scale distributors of local produce. So whether it's our urban farms or other small farmers in the region, um, providing culturally relevant crops that maybe you can't order from a huge distributor. The um, coche. And- say that again. Lico- hey, Licoche, bro, please. that happened. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that tying together all of these different pieces that seem so disparate, like a ethnic grocery store to an urban farm, to using the mobile farmer's market as a delivery food hub vehicle, like there's potential to make these linkages and to create a food system that actually is almost like self-contained within one city, production distribution and consumption. Why not? You know, it just, it's going to take some planning and collaboration. Design utopia. Don't, (laughs) don't aim
3: for what exists already. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah. And acknowledge the amount of um, incredible assets that a community that's even defined as disadvantaged or underserved or food desert, like, they, these are not desolate desert places these are vibrant communities with massive amounts of opportunity for for success on a local level and so it's really just about injecting um you know the the funding and the intention to to provide those opportunities for people who have the skills to just grow out what they've already got yeah so yeah love it
3: that you're describing the dream and you're making <laughs> it happen I mean you you truly are uh, and 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 you're still like, fresh and alive and filled with hope and (laughs) it's so it's so so needed Uh, i don't know (laughs) i'm just pushing through (laughs) too much coffee no i'm just so grateful for you i think a a lot of humans are in a better place because you're in their community and you know for the the kale raisers that are listening what can they do in iowa and Hmm. canada what can they be doing to to make a difference around these issues.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, you have a full-time job doing something completely unrelated to the food system, or, you know, you've got a family to raise and it just feels unattainable to, to try and tackle these grants and start programs. I completely get it. Um, You know, start talking to your neighbors, just start talking to your neighbors, put a couple seeds in a pot somewhere, maybe, you know, give, give it a shot. Try growing your own herbs, for example, Um, And start sharing with people around you. Um, That is an amazing, you know, building community and getting out of our own houses and stepping out and developing relationships. Like that's really what life is all about, right? And in order to do that, we really have to, um, we really just have to have something to share. And that could be knowledge. That could be an extra zucchini that you're totally sick of looking at because your zucchini plants are producing too much. Um, So I would say, you know, don't be afraid to give your yourself a shot at something new, whether that's growing food for your family or, you know, or something to share with your neighbors. Um,
3: But you're bringing up a really good point here, Sarah, because I think um, it's just like you said uh, the intimidation factor that in order to not be a food desert, you got to have a $2 million grocery store. Right. But, but there are resources that exist already. And I think there are so many people who are, within, they are the resource and they might be listening and not realize you're the resource, right? Like, don't be afraid. Like we want your gifts. Uh, we, we probably, you could probably use them, Sarah. I know I could probably use them. I I think, um, it's, there's such an intimidation to it, right? Like you're exactly right. You don't have to quit your job and, uh, start working at a nonprofit to plug into (laughs) the stuff that is, is happening and and make a difference like you need help I need help there are places right um maybe that amazing recipe that someone like I remember uh last year on just on Instagram there's urban farmer in West Sac who said um he he posted a photo of his sweet lacoche and he said can anybody tell me what happened to my corn my corn got a bug (laughs) my corn is broken right and immediately the community on on Instagram was like no you've got a treasure like that's rare right and so so this farmer now was like oh i i have something that people want but it wasn't maybe of his culture so he didn't know so i think right. you know that sharing of knowledge and culture knowing your stuff has value um, i think that that is undervalued in our in our society so yeah, yeah. i think hopefully tapping into something really important there.
1: I totally agree with you. And I, I don't know how many folks have the opportunity to get to know farmers or get to know a farmer. You know, farmers are are amazingly resilient human beings. Um, they're they they're like blindly optimistic in the fact that, you know, life will go on and we'll just keep trudging through it. Um, I will say <laughs> this is this is very common. Farmers are such a such great growers, you know, they can produce this 30,000 pounds of food a month. Um, they may not always be the best at talking to other people or designing a logo on a graphic design thing, you know, so you, yeah. you may think that the skill set that you have is irrelevant to helping your local food system. But hey, man, if you know how to design a logo, I can hook you up with like 20 farmers that would love some help with that skill. You know, um, if you have connections to a local restaurant or you're a chef or, you know, or you yourself just like to cook a lot or, you know, just reach out to your local farmers. Farmers are people's people, even though they may be <laughs> experts. Um, uh, but there's a sense of community that comes with farming. And I think that um, maybe people feel like, oh, I'm not a part of this farm community. But I can tell you right now, that uh farmers will welcome you with open arms if you have any interest in learning about what they're doing or um or if you have some kind of skill to offer whether it's you know graphic design or web design or whatever so just keep that in mind love it love it love it i love what you're doing i love your approach
3: um keep raising kale out there sarah <laughs> well, <We're>... thank <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah thank you so much and uh follow us on facebook if you like west Sac urban farm program <laughs> yeah Shout it out.
3: (laughs) Sarah is such a great human. I wonder if she ever sleeps. Her community is really lucky to have her. Thanks so much for listening. Please help me spread the word about these inspiring kale raisers by sharing this episode and rating the podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. September is Food Literacy Month. Help us celebrate with our Veggie of the Year contest where kids vote for their favorite veggie. Join the joy at foodliteracycenter.org. Next week, I'm excited to introduce you to Beth Lee. She grew up enjoying her grandma's traditional Jewish baked goods, but they were never written down. So Beth took a journey, interviewing people across the world to capture and publish a new cookbook based on essential Jewish baking from across the diaspora. It's a beautiful story of family, culture, and tradition. You'll meet a new food hero in every episode. Next time on Raising Kale.